Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. We've been doing a, a, a series, we started a few weeks ago, on vision. Recap it real quickly, three areas of vision we've been talking about. And when I'm talking of vision, I'm not talking about seeing a vision or seeing an angel or seeing another. I'm talking about how you see things, how you see God, how you see yourself, how you see really how you see life. Where, where does that intersect? Your perception of things. And we've talked about that. You're, you're welcome to go back. You can always download that. But I, I want to talk a little bit more about how we see God, our vision of God. There are things that have impacted people's perspective, how they see God. Things that impact them, they impact all of us. First one is experiences, good and bad. Good and bad experiences. Uh, and tied in with that oftentimes is what people told you about that. You know, I've, I've had people say, you know, when a small child will die that, that God took them and because he needed another angel in the choir. And I want to tell you, if, if, if someone tells you that, by the way, there's nothing scriptural about that. But if someone hears that, oftentimes I've heard people say they get angry at God. And their view of God is, why would you take a child? It's not true. But if you've been taught that or that's your experience and that's what you, you've heard, if you've had good experiences with God, that impacts you as well. Your examples, good and bad. The examples and people that have been in your life. You know, this is where fathers are so important. This is where I always encourage men that if you, if you haven't, um, if you're looking for an area to serve, I always encourage children and youth are, are great to have men in. Because we, we deal with a lot of kids today who maybe don't have a stable home life or have a, a father at home, and good male role models in church are great examples. And many of us can, many of us can think of people uh, in our life who've been a great example. If you grew up with a good father, you are blessed. Because, but, because there, there are many people who've grown up with an absent father or an abusive father. And so it, it's, it's, it's amazing and it's somewhat appalling how much someone's father has impacted their view of God. Because, you know, you hear churches talk a lot about, oh, we want to be in community. We want to be in community. Actually, a church is more of a family than it is a community. But then people, when they, when they hear that word family, for some people, that's kind of like, I don't, man, i got a horrible family. I don't want to be a part of a family. And so if you come from a very difficult or dysfunctional family, and by the way, every family has levels of dysfunction. There are no perfect families. There's not one. It's just different levels. And, and some families have more fun with their dysfunction <laughs> than other families. But, but if, you're, if you're thinking, I just have to have a perfect family, there are no perfect families. And so don't, don't, don't get upset about that. If you think, well, their, their life is better. Stop looking at Facebook. <laughs> because Facebook is brand management, not necessarily reality. You don't live with it. But for a lot of, if you've grown up though, if you had a good family, a loving family, it, it's impacted you. Joy and I talked about the fact that her, when, when she was seven, her mom remarried, she had a, a stepfather who moved in, who was great, he was a great guy. And, uh, 
He loved joy. He just thought joy just hung the moon. He loved her. And he, and he was very giving towards her. I mean, they got Joy a car when she was 16. It was an ugly car, but they got her a car. <laughs> and it, how many of you know when you're 16, there is no such thing as an ugly car. It's just like, give me a car. And uh, it, was, it was a Dodge Dart. It was doo-doo brown. It was, that's, a, that's the only way I can describe that car, man. It was ugly. It was just an ugly, ugly car. We had it when we were married. It was almost embarrassing to drive in. But anyway, her, 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 her dad gave her uh, that car. And so from Joyce's perspective, she has no problem with, she never had a problem with the idea that God would give to her. If you grew up in a family where, I grew up in a family where my dad wasn't big on giving. He was big on earning. That's right. You had to earn everything. And, you know, I, I would, I don't think I ever, once I reached a certain age, ever walked up and just asked my dad for money. I asked my dad, hey, dad, I would come up with some angle. Hey, dad, if I clear out the woods down near the lake, can, I, can you give me, I need to make 100 bucks. My dad just, one time, one time, he reached in his wallet. I'm getting ready to go on a date. He pulled out like a $10 bill and handed it to me. I wish I'd kept it. Because I'm like, oh. It's like the Holy Grail. I'm like, oh. <laughs> but, but, for me, the idea that God would give to me is more difficult than it was for joy. Does that make sense? Yes. How we see, oftentimes, our experiences or our examples are, are a good idea of how we see God. The last one is what I call exhortations only because I needed something that began with an E. But so you got experiences, example, exhortations, that's really what we've been taught. And if you've been taught that God is harsh, he's mean, he's out to get you, it's gonna be hard for you to have a good relationship there. You've been taught God's good, that he's loving, he's kind, he will bless you, he will help you, he is so gracious. That's a, a different, different way to do it. So best source, when we're trying to determine how do we really then form uh, an accurate picture of God. The best source are the scriptures and the best one to look at is Jesus. John 14, look what Jesus said. Jesus talking to his disciples, he said, if you'd known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father. It's sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been so long, with you so long, yet you've not known me, Philip? Check this next one. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Jesus said to his disciples, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've seen what he's like. And so if, if that applies to the disciples, it applies to us. When we look through the scriptures, we see what Jesus is like. We get a picture of how God is like. You know, Jesus was always good to people. Jesus was kind. Jesus was gracious to people. Jesus didn't hurt little children. Jesus healed and blessed little children. Jesus was good. So if you're looking for a picture of God, look at Jesus. When you see in the scriptures, that's a picture. Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen him. That's the first one. Second one is an example of what we have in the New Testament revelation. Guys, I'm going to skip that verse for sake of time and go over. But what you see in the, what they call the epistles, and that's the letters written by Paul, by Peter, by John, is you begin to see a revelation of what God has done for us, and you begin to see how good he is and his love for us. And then you can look in the Old Testament. Now, when you look in the Old Testament, what we're looking for 
is truths that point to the New Testament. So you never just stop in the Old Testament and, and form your picture of God right there. You've, it's, the Bible's progressive revelation. You have to move over into the New Testament as well. That's where you see the love of God. That's where you see the redemption that's in Christ. That's where you see that we become new creations. A lot of great things, but you can't just look at the old. But we can look at the old and get a great picture. And I want to talk to you tonight about a picture of how David saw God. First, you see, begin to get David's perspective in the Psalms. Look at this Psalm here. This is David. This is David talking to God. I, I love, I love how he just talks to the Lord. He said, "Rejoice the soul of your servant." That that word actually means make glad the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good, and ready to forgive, and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. David's perspective of God was that God was good, that God was merciful, that God was kind, that God would be good to him, that God could actually, he could say, I've been basically saying, Lord, I'm going I'm to give you my life, make me glad. In fact, David said, Lord, you've made me more glad than when other people had increase in their life. In other words, David realized there's, a, there's an inward gladness. Joy talked about it on Sunday, did a marvelous job. But she talked about it on Sunday, about a joy that can come on the inside. God, you can make me glad. But David's perspective, I love, I love reading the Psalms because David is a great model of how to talk, how to talk with God, how to learn. It's a great way to express. But David, his perspective, we're going to see it in this next story. Now, the story of David and Bathsheba. I'm going to, I'm going to go through it pretty quickly. If you don't know the story, it, it, it sounds like a Hollywood movie. David sent his army out to fight Joab and the whole army they went out to fight springtime of the year. He sent them out to fight, but for some reason David doesn't go. It doesn't tell us why David, but David stayed behind in the palace. He didn't go out and fight. He was a warrior. He wasn't fighting. And so he can't sleep one night and he gets up and he gets, he's on the roof of his palace, which was probably taller than any other building in the area. And he looks down and the Bible said there's a lady named Bathsheba who was bathing. Now, I have no idea why she's bathing on the roof of her house in the sight line of the palace. You can ask her when you get to heaven. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go into that. But she's bathing, and the Bible said she was, she was very beautiful. Now, when the, when the scriptures say you are beautiful, you're pretty. When they say you are very beautiful, you're a knockout. And so here's, here's David, and he sees her, and she's bathing, and so, David inquired about her. Who, who lives over there? And they said, David, that's, a, that's Bathsheba. She's the wife of Uriah. So he knew she was married. And David sends for her, and she comes. And they spent the night, had a sleepover. <laughs> and I told you this is PG, right? <laughs> they have a sleepover, and... Uh, she goes back a couple days later, takes a pregnancy test and calls David and said, I'm with child. And so now David's got a problem because she's the wife of Uriah who was one of his, actually one of his mighty men, very honorable soldier. And so Uriah was all fighting. So David's thinking now, okay, what am I going to do about this? Now this is really conniving. And so David sends and he brings Uriah back from the battle. Send a messenger Messenger goes to Joab, goes, uh, Mr. Joab, sir, we need Uriah back here. David wants to see him. So when Uriah comes in, David asks him about the battle, how's things going. 
Things are going good, yada, yada. David said, great. Hey, go to your house. Go see your wife. What's David thinking? He's thinking, he goes and sees his wife. He's going to think that's his child. But Uriah doesn't go to his house. Uriah sleeps in the servants' quarters. And David, the next morning, David asked him, so why didn't you go to your house? And listen, this guy was such an honorable man. He said the Ark of the Covenant, he said the, 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 the armies of Judah and, and Israel, they were fighting, they're living in tents. He said, basically saying, my brothers in arms are living in tents. He said, it's not right for me to come home to go see my wife. It's just not honorable. So David's like, oh, great. What am I going to do now? So he has another great idea. Brings him in a couple days later and gets him so fallen down drunk that he's thinking, surely he will now go home. He goes, he goes to the servants' quarters, crashes on the couch, never goes home. So David writes a letter and he says to Joab, Joab, put Uriah in the hottest part of the battle and when he's there, pull back from him. And he seals the letter and hands it to Uriah who took his own death warrant to Joab. Could you imagine Joab getting that letter and looking at Uriah? Going, okay. So they put Uriah up in the front of the battle and then they pulled back from him. He was killed. He died. And Bathsheba mourned him and when the morning time was over, she married David. This is no bueno. And David thinks he's gotten away with it, except there was a prophet in the, in the, in the nation called Nathan. And Nathan comes and sees him. <laughs> Nathan actually tells him a story. Hey, David, there's this rich man. He's got a lot of cattle, a lot of sheep. And he's in the same town with this poor man. And the poor man has one little lamb, like a pet. Comes in and eats with the family. Kids pet him. Named him Fluffy. <laughs> He's their pet lamb. He said, but when a, a, a guest came to the rich man, instead of killing one of his sheep, he took the poor man's sheep, little Fluffy, and killed him and served it to dinner for his guest. David came unglued. He, just, he said, in the old King James, his wrath was aroused. <laughs> Brother went postal. He's like, that man deserves to die. And Nathan looks at him and went, you the man. You are the man. And David recognized, and David acknowledged his sin, and God, God told him, he said, I have given you this. I have done all this for you. In fact, the Lord said, and if that hadn't been enough, I would have given you much more. He said, but what you've done is, and David said, I have sinned. He acknowledged his sin. And Nathan said, the Lord's put away your sins. He said, but what you've done has given the enemies of the Lord a great opportunity to blaspheme. Listen, here's the challenge. The higher up you go in position, the greater the fall. And the greater the amount of blasphemy. That's why it, it, it's, when pastors and preachers fall, it creates such a stink. Too much is given, much is required. And so when he, he fell, he said, you've given the enemies of the Lord an opportunity to blaspheme. He said, you're, you're, the child's going to die. People don't like that. 
a lot of times. But you listen, you've you got to understand this. David committed some serious sins. Adultery and murder. And there are consequences. We don't like hearing that. But the sowing and reaping principle, it works. And unfortunately, David sowed seeds. In fact, David had problems in his family from then on. But the child got sick. And when the child got sick, David began to, to pray. And the Bible said for seven days, he laid on the floor and he prayed. Seven days. And he was praying. His servants would talk to him. He wouldn't, he wouldn't even listen. He didn't bathe. He didn't eat. He just laid on the floor. He would get up and walk around. He would lay back on the floor. And, and they were worried about him. And they began to whisper. And their concern was, because when the child died seven days later, their concern was, if we tell him, he may kill himself. He was that distraught. But look, but when he, but look at what happens. When David saw his servants were whispering, David perceived the child was dead. Therefore David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he's dead. So David arose from the ground, washed, and anointed himself, and changed his clothes, and he went to the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. Then the servant said to him, what, what is this you've done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, look what he said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he's dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. He said, that's kind of a sad story, Alan. But I want you to see something. David, I want to make sure I hit these points. He committed sins. The Lord told him the child was going to die. He fasted and prayed for the child for seven days. His view of the Lord's goodness. When the child died, David got up, he washed up, he anointed himself, and he went into the house of the Lord and he worshiped. Which tells me he wasn't even blaming God. He was worshiping. And they couldn't understand it. They're like, David, what are, what are you doing? Why did you fast and pray? And he said this, after committing adultery, after having a man murdered, David said, maybe the Lord will be gracious to me. And this child will live. Do you understand what kind of view David had of God? That even after he messed up that bad, that he believed it was possible for God to be gracious to him? That God was that good? That even after he had messed things up? But even after he had messed things up, when, when he found out the child was dead, he got up, he went to it after he worshiped, he went to his house and ate. David did not even punish himself for what had gone on. Do you understand that David understands God's mercy and his grace and his willingness to forgive and that God is good enough that even after he messed up, he would help? Now, here's my point. If you believe that God is good, instead of running from him when you have a problem, you'll run to him because you know he's going to be good to you and gracious to you regardless of what you have done. Amen. And when you understand how good God is, 
then instead of backing away, instead of seeing the Christian life as a duty, you're going to see the Christian life as, oh, I've got a God who is so good and he is so merciful. How many of us can testify that God has been good to you, that God has been merciful to you, and that even when you mess things up really, really bad, when you messed them up really bad, the Lord did not kick you out. He did not disown you. In fact, you say, well, God just convicted me. No, your own heart convicted you and the Holy Spirit was there to try to get you back on the right track. It's not the Holy Spirit with his foot on your back. A lot of times it's your own foot on your own back that's holding you down. Take your foot off your back and realize God's merciful. He will forgive you. People say, well, Alan, you, you preach this way. People will have license to sin. Listen, when you know how good God is, you don't want to sin. You're not trying to see how much you can get by with. You're trying to see how close you can walk. But the story doesn't end. Because David goes back to Bathsheba. They're married. And they have another baby. Another child. You're thinking, boy, is God merciful? Yeah, he is. Look what it says. Would you go to the next one? He, God, sent word by Nathan, hand of Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedediah because of the Lord. His mother actually called him Jedediah. You know what David called him? Solomon. That's a... Solomon. Solomon, who became the next what? King. After David committed adultery with Bathsheba, we we don't know her part, but my guess is she was part of it. You ladies looked at me like, "Mm -mm, I'm going to hang on, hang on, hang on. (laughs) But, and then husband was murdered and then had a child die I bet this little woman was thinking her life is going to be cursed for the rest of her life. But instead, she has a baby. She's not barren. She has another baby. David named him Solomon. And the Lord sent Nathan, the same prophet who pointed out David's sin, he sent him to David and let him know the Lord loves this child. This child is beloved of the Lord. Bathsheba called him Jedidiah. Loved of the Lord. Is God good? Let me tell you something. God is better than we are. Because some of us are like, bless God, if I'd been God, I'd have wiped out the whole bunch. How many of you know if we had been God, there'd be dead people all over the freeway? (laughs) But here she was, and now she knows that God loves this child. So instead of growing up with this little boy growing up and her, his mom being afraid that maybe he's going to die too, now she has this peace in her heart that God was good enough to give her a word that this child is loved of the Lord so much she calls him loved of the Lord, beloved of the Lord. And she grows up without a sense of fear. And he grows up healthy and strong. And David had other sons, other sons, older than Solomon. Other sons who were in the lineage. Other sons who could have been king, and yet it was Solomon, the son of David and Bathsheba, that became king. 
You say, well, Alan, I, I don't like that. No, you need to love that because that tells us that we've got a God and who's really, really good. And we need to see him as really, really good. Not someone who is looking to hurt you and punish you and keep your life down. And David understood that. So he prayed, Lord, would you spare him? And then also, just as a side note, David's view of death was outstanding. He said, I'll go to him. He won't return to me. What's he saying? He said, that child's alive. He can't come back, but one day I'll go to him. How many of you know that these babies who never get a chance at life are still alive to God? And we'll have a chance to see them again. I'll tell you something, guys. We've got a God who is really, 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 really good. And so what we begin to do is then we take these stories and we begin to make them our own. We begin to go, Lord, thank you. You're so much better than I have even treated you. You're so much better. So how do you begin to do that? Proverbs 4. It's a wonderful proverb. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of of your heart, for their life to those that find them, and health to all their flesh. So we read stories right here, and the value that we place on God's word matters. We give attention to and we hear what God is saying in these stories. We begin to keep them as part of our vision. We said, don't let them depart from your eyes. It's not talking about reading your Bible and driving. Don't, don't, don't do that. We know texting and driving doesn't work. Reading your Bible and driving doesn't work. It's saying that it begin, begins to get a part of how you begin to see. And we begin to, that we begin to see, we begin to get an image of God that is really good, really good. And when you believe that God is, is, is really good, it, it gives you such a peace and a confidence on the inside that regardless of the people that say things to you, the people that do things, regardless of what we have going on in the world right now, it's a, it's a, it's a tumultuous time. But we've got a God who's good. Amen. And he's our father. And we can trust him. And that makes all the difference in the world. Does that make sense tonight? Yes. Looking at how David saw God. Listen, if David could do that under the old covenant, how much more can we? under the new covenant, who've been made new creations in Christ, who no longer are just servants of God. We are sons and daughters of God and part of his family. What a blessing that is. If he was close, how much closer can we be? Will you bow your head for a moment? If you came this evening or you're watching online and you've said, you know, Alan, I don't know that I've ever asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior. When you asked me if I was saved, I really couldn't say yes with any confidence. We want to give you an opportunity to do that. Or maybe you've just, you like I was, I got away from God. I've made a decision, I walked with him for a while, and then I just, I fell away. The church word calls it backsliding. But we just simply say, you, you went away from the Lord. And you know it, he knows it. But you don't want to stay there, you want to come back. We're going to say a prayer. If you're online, you can say this prayer with us. If you're by yourself, you can say it with us out loud. If you're with others, you pray it quietly. But if you're here, we're going to pray this prayer. We're not going to have you stand up. I'm not going to have you come to the front. But this prayer is for you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I am going to ask you to do one thing. If that's you that I'm talking to and you say, Alan, I'm not sure where I stand with the Lord, but I want to be, or I, need, I know I need to come back to him, would you pray for me? Quickly just slip your hand up.
across the auditorium. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Great. Thank you. Thanks. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray. If you didn't lift your hand, you wanted to, you can still get it on this prayer. We're going to pray it with you as a church family. We're going to pray it out loud. You pray it with us out loud so you can hear yourself pray. Say, Dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Heads are still bowed and eyes are closed. Father, thank you for those that have prayed that prayer today, tonight, here, online, whether watching, Father, somewhere down the road. Thank you for that. Thank you for the ability to walk out of spiritual darkness into the light and for the ability to come back home and be welcomed with open arms. Lord, we are thankful for that. You are so good. Father, increase our heart, enlarge our heart, and give us a bigger vision of just how good you are and how wonderful your love is. And make us a blessing to those around you who need you so desperately. We thank you for that. We give you all the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message has blessed you. Don't forget to check us out on all the social platforms. We're uploading encouraging content on a regular basis. For more information, go to thearcchurch.com. Have a great week.